Hey, just a heads up that the following content may be disturbing or triggering for some listeners and is not appropriate for children. Please take care of yourself and others who may be listening with you. Welcome to the Bonus Babies Podcast, a show that has no easy answers, only hard questions. Growing up, I was I was born into a male-dominant family, meaning I had a lot of boy cousins, a lot of brothers, a lot of uncles, and a sprinkle of girl cousins here and there, you know what I mean? And so because of that, I grew up playing basketball, football, shooting uh, BB guns and like just having fun, you know, doing all the stuff that boys do, riding go-karts, riding skateboards and just, I thought I was just like them, you know, like you couldn't tell me y'all couldn't play with my boy cousins or my god brothers or the kids in my neighborhood, you know, and so as I get older, I'm like, oh, I'm a date man, you know what I mean? I dated men before, I've I had my fair share of heartbreak with men and then um, I was single for a very long time and then, yeah, I had an experience that really changed like my perspective and how I like how I thought like about life and so I realized oh I think I like girls you know and so um I like girls and so I'm also very feminine you know what I mean which is why I think dudes like naturally gravitated towards me because they like dang she played a game with me but she also like super girly you know what I mean and so um I'm very fluid right I acknowledge my masculine side and I also acknowledge my feminine side and I embrace both Can you tell me what you call the kids who you've cared for over the years? We feel that the children that we receive coming into our home are bonuses. So we call them bonus babies. I love that. This is your host, Jane Amelia Larson, and I'm Akasa, a court-appointed special advocate volunteer for youth in foster care. Yeah, I know, it's a mouthful. In the same way Akasa works, I explore all things in the foster care maze, by talking to kids, parents, caregivers, attorneys, social workers, therapists, really anybody and everybody who will speak to me to keep the conversation open and the information flowing about all things CASA. Hi, this is Jake Eberly, the producer of the Bonus Babies podcast. And today, Jane speaks with Jonna Rivers. They are a youth leader, a CASA board member, a mentor, a co-founder of the Real to Real Global Youth Film Festival, and a program manager of Better Youth, Inc. And I get the impression they're not going to stop there. Enjoy the episode. I'm here with Jonna Rivers. Hi, Jonna. Hi, how are you doing? Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Okay, um, you were saying you're going to Vegas? I am. I'm going to Vegas this weekend to see the Silk Sonic concert. Super yeah. excited, super stoked about that. Anderson Pack and Bruno Mars. I can't think of a better collab. Oh, you're going to have fun, man. You're going to have fun. All right, so tell me about yourself. You're from Watts, right? I am. I grew up in Watts. I lived there all my life uh, for the most part till I was about 19 years old. Watts taught me a lot, though. Taught me a lot of great life lessons, you know, about just like how to protect myself out here in the world and, you know, um, how to see people true colors, you know, easier to see people true colors. It, It gave me a lot of discernment you know, about life situations. And so, yeah, I grew up in Watts, lived there till I was 19 and um, became homeless because my brother was incarcerated for a crime he didn't commit. Really? So what, yes. what happened? You, you you became homeless as a as a kid or, or what? Um, as a teenager, I was 19 at this time. Um, I did grow up in foster care. And so at this time I had um, 
transition into becoming a transition age youth. And so um, me and my big grandma ended up being homeless and we stayed with her god sister where I slept on the floor. And even when my money stopped coming in from DCFS, my big grandma would still pay for me to be there, which was a blessing because most kids get kicked out at the age of 18. And uh, for me, I had support. You know what I mean? I didn't have to leave. I chose to leave because I wanted to see what the world was like. You know, I wanted to take a chance out in the world on my own. Um, I saw a lot of uh, my family stay with my big grandma until they was 30 or even older and it, nothing good came from it. And so I wanted to try something different. All right. So we're going to talk about that in a minute. But first, tell me about, so how did you end up in foster care? What happened in your family? What happened at home? So when I was nine years old, my mom um, was smoking weed. She always smoked weed. She wasn't a bad parent. I had a hot meal every night, had clothes on my back, went to school every day. You know what I mean? When I was sick, was well taken care of. Like my mom was a great, attentive present mom, um, which is like a, something that a lot of kids in my neighborhood didn't have. But she smoked marijuana and she was pregnant with my sister, who she named Miracle because she was a miracle baby. Didn't know she was pregnant. She was like in her rib and in her back. And so when she went to the hospital for back pains, they told her she was in labor. And when she delivered that baby girl, they found marijuana in her system and they found marijuana in my little sister's system and opened a DCFS case, removed us from the home that was which was supposed to be temporarily, but ended up being long because they kept giving my mom new hoops to jump through, you know. Oh, That's you got right. to do more, parenting more. classes. She do parenting classes. Oh, you got to pass your drug test. She passed the drug test. Oh, you got to do anger management. She do anger management. Oh, you got, you know, every time she completed one thing, they threw something else at her. And any human sometimes, you know, just become exhausted with the process and you start to feel defeated. Like, you know, like it ain't no other side like there's no winning you know and I think that's what happened with my mom so I ended up in the system until I aged out until you aged out right yeah. and you had a tough time in the system you had a I, tough time in foster care tell me I about that did. Uh, my first foster home that I went to when I was nine years old was because my brother wanted to live with his dad's side of the family. We have two different dads. And so I uh, had to go live with him. And when I was there, um, I forgot to mention this. My brother was removed from the home due to an altercation with his cousin. So his auntie had him removed from the home, leaving me there by myself. And I started to be abused. Um sexually abused, physically abused, emotionally abused. You know, they would let the dog bite me. And for them, it may have been fun and games and a joke. But for me, it was traumatizing because to this day, I still have post-traumatic stress disorder when it comes to a dog, or at least when a dog shows aggression, shall I say, because I have gotten over the fear of dogs. But when a dog is aggressive, um, I'm still triggered and the post-traumatic stress kicks in. And um, after a year of being there, um, I was, I remember talking to my mom and my big mama and telling them what happened. And Okay, who's like, big mama? Who's big mama? Uh, my big mama is like my godmom. I was born on her couch. Um, she was my mom godmom also, so she was both of our godmother. Um, and so I was born on her couch, took my first steps in her house. And so she just like always been there, was a protector. And I gave her the name Big Mama because like growing up, I would always call her mom and my mama mom. And they both was like, uh-uh, we not finna both jump up every time you say this. And so they said, I said, no, I'm gonna call you Big Mama and I'm gonna call you Mama. And for the rest of my life, I called her Big Mama. And so, um, that's who my big mama is. But I told them and, um, 
they called the social worker, the social worker scheduled a court date. I went to court, but I didn't say anything in court, so the judge sent me back home to the house that I was being abused in, but I was nervous Okay, so about you didn't that. say anything. You didn't say anything because you were scared in court? You didn't, you, you, yeah. you weren't able to, you weren't able to speak up, right? because right, I was there with my foster parent, and one of her kids was there with her, so I wasn't like, I'm not going to say nothing. But the judge saw that it was like, that I was still in distress from the look on my face, and so she removed me from that home. Um, not removing me. She told me to go to the back and talk to my attorney. I went to go talk to my attorney, and my attorney was like, oh, no. You know, and she, he told the uh, the lady, the clerk, the clerk told the judge, and the judge was like, oh, uh, based off the information I just received, Janae's going to be removed from this home effective immediately. And she had me go back to the back with my attorney, and my attorney asked who I wanted to live with. I said, my big mama, since I've already been born on her couch, she's already been in my life. I felt more comfortable. It's like a second home. I had already been spending a night at her, life, her house all my life. And so... Um, I went to live with my big mama, where I stayed until I aged out the system. Right, but you, and you also told me that you're not you're not afraid of confronting things. So you you actually eventually did speak up in court, right? Yeah, I did. That's how I got removed. Right, right. So how? So do you remember what you said? I don't. I just remember um, talking to my attorney and my attorney going back into the uh, judge. I mean, into the courtroom, and then me being removed that day. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I definitely spoke about what was happening. How did you feel about all that? How did you feel about the way you were treated? Because you were you were actually severely neglected, right? You were in foster you, care, not in my home. In foster care, in foster right. care, I was severely neglected. Right, not with Big Mama, and my not mom. With, and not with your mom, but right. in foster care. You were you were abused, you were starved, you were neglected, you were terrorized by dogs. Right. They thought it was funny. Right. And you were, in all this time, you're just a little girl. Right. Or a little person, right? Right. And so, yeah, yeah I don't I don't think I really, I, at nine years old, you're not really processing that. You're not really, you're not really understanding of your emotions and the things you're going through. Well, 10 at that time, because I turned 10 there, left before my 11th birthday. And so, um, at 10 years old, you're not really, you don't really understand how to process your emotions or really comprehend what's happening. Um, it wasn't until I became an adult and like did try and did some traveling and did some healing that I was able to identify some of the emotions that I was feeling and how they played the role in some of the uh, decisions that I made in my child, uh, my teenage years, like fighting in school, not graduate middle school, but graduating high school. Didn't graduate middle school, didn't graduate elementary, but I graduated high school. Um, but it was because I was fighting, didn't really care about my grades. And it wasn't until um, my mentor, Sidney Stewart, came in my life and was like, I got an opportunity for you to go to Atlanta. I was like, Atlanta? I want to go to Atlanta, you know what I mean? And when I went to Atlanta to hang out with a whole bunch of different kids and Usher himself, um, that's when my like, that's when I started to like change my life for the better. But I, when I look, got older and did the healing and did the work, I looked back and I realized like, oh, that's why I was fighting. And that's why, because I was angry and I was mad and hurt from what I had just been through. And yeah, I was removed from the home and I was placed in the home with my big mama, but I was still like going through, a, like I was still uh, hurt. And besides, I didn't speak up about the sexual abuse until I was about 14. So I had never spoke about that. So that was still going on in my head. And so it was just like a lot of different things that I was dealing with um, that I wasn't aware of because I didn't have the knowledge or the tools to be able to identify what I was going through or what I was feeling at the time. And so um, 
and even in therapy, like mandated therapy, like you ain't talking to these people because most of the time you talk to these people and your situation end up worse. And so you're not really going to open up to these therapists. Okay, tell me about that because I've heard that before, right? So there's... Well, that's never happened to me personally, you know, but I'm like uh, from people that I like, you know, know who was never even in foster care, but like, you know, had to go to therapy for something else. and was like, oh, this is why I'm doing this. And then they ended up like in a situation worse than what that was. And next thing you know, they in juvenile hall as a teenager. And just like, it was just a down spiral, um, you know, sometimes speaking up. And so I did this thing called the Landmark Forum where um, they taught us about how to heal our inner child. And um, that's where I was like really able to like look back and be like, wow, that really messed me up. But thank God that I'm here now and making the choice to heal, right? Because I think healing is a choice. It's not nothing that can be forced. So even if a judge forced me to go to therapy, I'm not going to heal if that's not what I want to do. You know what I mean? And so when I made the decision to like, I want to understand my life. I want to understand how what I've been through affect me now. Today, I want to understand how it affects my attitude. I want to understand how it affects my perspective and like really made the the conscious choice to want to better myself and be better than the things that I've seen and experienced in my life is when I was able to um, unlock the level of awareness needed to identify how I felt during that time. Because I think like at nine years old, it's like, you don't know how you feel at nine, you know? Like, um, you don't know how you feel at yeah. 13 sometimes, you know no, what I mean? No, yeah, I don't even know old. how I feel now sometimes, <laughs> right. you know, I'm so, like confused, you know? You know? Yeah, so, yeah. But you're really describing this so well that you, it sounds like you, you, well, it doesn't sound like it's true. You've just worked really hard to heal yourself. And as you say, it's a choice that you've made because you could have gone the other way, right? Correct. You could... Yeah, you could have a super unhappy life right right now, but instead, you're doing all kinds of things that you love, that you want. Correct. You've been all over the world, right? You've traveled all over? Yes. Can you tell me about that? How did that that work out? (laughs) So I've been to Africa, I've been to Brazil, and I did this documentary when I was about 18, 19 maybe, Um, and my mentor was like, you know, Will, we should do a video for you for this competition, and let's just see if it can get in. Although I didn't win the competition, I won so much more. I got the support of my community. I got the support of strangers. I got the support of people I've never even met before. And um, at the time, I was battling health issues, and I was homeless. You know what I mean? At the time, battling health issues, but I never let any of that stop me. You know what I mean? I felt like I survived all the stuff that I survived in foster care. So homelessness and health issues, you know, ain't going to stop me. But unfortunately, it did. I ended up in the hospital on the day that I was supposed to show that documentary to a group of people in the community that was doing work for young people. And um, the guy that uh, offered me the opportunity was like, you know what? Because I like this video and it inspired me so much. I want to show it on your behalf if that's okay for you with you and I said yeah I'm okay with that sure and I remember him texting me like hey good news like I showed the video everybody loved it this lady Akuyo she wants you to write a letter um so you can go to Africa and I was like Africa he was like yo you gotta do is submit a letter I was like okay I wrote a letter (laughs) I mean I wrote the best letter I can write I was like I've never been outside the country I want to see what this is about if I can get in like so be it, you know? And so I wrote it. I said, yes. And here's to my big mama who never said no and always said yes. And that's kids in me to always say yes. I said, yes. And I wrote that letter. And next thing you know, I got an email from Akuyo and she said, hey, 
John A., this is one of the best letters I've ever read. And I just want to let you know that you are one of the people that I'm going to take to Africa with me. And I would really love to meet you. You know what I mean? Give me a call at this number. She gave me her number. I called her, talked to her, went to the meeting. Mind you, I didn't have a car. I didn't have nothing. I caught a bus, a couple of buses, trains, whatever I had to do to get there, I was going to get there. Not having a car wasn't an excuse. Not having a ride was not an excuse. Even if I had to walk a couple of blocks from the bus stop, like I was going to get there. And so I showed up homeless, mind you, sleeping on the couch, just got through fighting some health issues. And um, here I am saying yes to a trip to Africa. And when I showed up, I was like, I don't got money for a passport. I don't have money for shots. I don't have money for any of this. And the group that I went to like really supported me and uplifted me and really made sure that it was possible for me to be able to have that experience. And to this day, they're some of the most magnificent people I've met. You know, what thing I've learned that Akuyo said to me, right, is that, uh, at the end of the day, we're all human, and humans are flawed. You know what I mean? And when I think about that, uh, all of my mentors are magnificent, and they're flaws and all. And so uh, I still know those people to this day. But that trip changed my life. You know, I really got to experience gratitude in a different way. I came home, and I called my mom, and I was like, thank you. She's like, for what? I was like, for the sugar, for the toilet paper, for the water, it's the things that we don't think about, you know what I mean? And you move into your first apartment and you're like, oh, let me make some tea. Oh, shit, I got to go to the store and buy sugar because we don't realize how much our parents, you know, how much they do for us, you know what I mean? Because we're so caught up in our own world and sometimes it takes traveling and saying how unfortunate other people are but live as if they're fortunate. You know, live as if they got more than they, like, which they do. They have everything they need, right? But in America, we don't even have that mentality, and we have an abundance, you know, free education, all these things. And so, yeah, it really changed my mind. It shifted my paradigm. And so, uh, you know, I went from pain to power. You know, I, I turned my pain into power and owned my story before somebody else got a chance to tell my story. I, I, got, I spoke up and started telling my own story. So what makes you like that? How, how, how are you like that? I think... Um, I was watching the last episode of Euphoria, right? And I, what I love is the how Lexi wrote this play because I love she that show. lived mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. she really lived like a fly on the wall, right? And I think like my life, most of my life, I've always lived like a fly on the wall. And so because of that, it allowed me it always it allows me to be able to put myself in other shoes. In a way, it allows me to be way like receptive to wisdom in a way that. Some art because I seen like I ain't got no kids, but I seen my sister uh, have her first baby and her baby daddy ghost her and not be and not want nothing to do with him and have more kids and be in those kids' lives. Yeah, I I, I didn't you know uh, I wasn't married, but I saw my big woman be married and her husband cheat on her all the time and see her cry and break down and take him back because she loved them. And yeah, I seen my cousin go to jail and I saw one of my cousins get chased by the police. Like I've seen a lot. You know what I mean? And I seen the emotions that those people experienced. And a lot of the times I was, um, God placed me in a room to see people um, in their most vulnerable state. And so when I got into the world and I got out here and started getting opportunities, it allowed me to uh, look at people as like, like human and not really be too judgmental and have an open heart because who am I to judge you? You know, I don't really understand the depths of what it is, but I put myself in their shoes and know I ain't going through it personally, but I'm imagining what it is if I was to go through it. And I can't judge you. 
I can't judge, but what I can do is just like try to share some of the wisdom that I know and some words of encouragement because I have been and sit like been through some things in life. You know what I mean? I've had friends cross me and burn me and hurt me. I help people who act like I've never done a thing for them. I've you know I've I've experienced some things in life too that had to teach me some lessons. Um, but I've also seen a lot in life, and because of that, when you experience a lot and you see a lot, you know you get this wealth of wisdom and and you just become a like you know a different person and I think a lot of the key thing that's different in between me and a lot of foster youth I've met is that I had a mother's love I wasn't neglected by my mother you know I had a mother's love until I was nine years old so I know what a mother's love was like which is how I was able to so quickly identify that I'm not being treated right here I know what it's like to be treated right and this ain't it you know what I mean and so um I think like a mother's love and perspective, experience, all of it plays a role into how I'm able to be who I am. Yeah. You're a really special lady. You're, I'm sorry, you're a special person. Uh, and I want to ask you about that. So you, you are a they, right? Can you talk to me? Because it, it's like, it's just bad habit because I'm calling you a, a girl and a lady and I know you're, you're more than that, right? So, t- so talk to me about that. Yeah, so um, growing up, I was I was born into a male dominant family, meaning I had a lot of boy cousins, a lot of brothers, a lot of uncles, and a sprinkle of girl cousins here and there. You know what I mean? And so because of that, I grew up playing basketball, football, shooting uh, BB guns, and like just having fun. You know, doing all the stuff that boys do, riding go karts and riding skateboards, and just. I thought I was just like them, you know, like you couldn't tell me y'all couldn't play with my boy cousins or my god brothers or the kids in my neighborhood, you know, and so like all of it. But yeah, growing up in my neighborhood, growing up in a male dominant family, I, I knew like, okay, I'm, I'm, I got this masculine energy because I was born into a masculine family, right? And then um, as I get older, I'm like, oh, I'm a date man. You know what I mean? I dated men before. I've I had my you know, fair share of heartbreak with men. And then um, I was single for a very long time. And then I had uh, an experience with somebody. And uh, I don't talk about that too much. But yeah, I had an experience that really changed like my perspective and how I like how I thought like about life. And so I realized, oh, I think I like girls, you know. And so um, I like girls. And so I'm also very feminine. You know what I mean? Um, and so, which is why I think dudes like naturally gravitated towards me because they like, dang, she'll play the game with me, but she also like super girly, you know what I mean? And so, um, I'm very fluid, right? I acknowledge my masculine side and I also acknowledge my feminine side and I embrace both. I'm not competing with the other. Like, I'm not like, oh, I can't be feminine because I'm supposed to be masculine. And I'm not like, oh, I can't be masculine because I'm supposed to be feminine. I'm like, no, I'm going to take the trash out and I'm going to go get my eyebrows done. And I'm also going to get an edge up. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to make sure that I do my face mask. I'm going to go make sure that, you know, that I make sure that I'm good. At the same time, I'm going to go play basketball and I'm going to listen to, you know, my music and I'm I'm, I'm going, you know, like I'm going to drive fast when I drive and that's just how I drive. And you know what I mean? Like, that's just who I am. And I'm not about to hide it. I'm not going to change it for anybody. And I'm not about to uh, um, 
try to fit myself into what society think people are supposed to be. I think yeah. if more people embrace, like I think every human being on this earth have masculine and feminine energy, but most people choose to hide or run from the other energy because society has told us we're not supposed to have both energies living in our body. But me, I'm fluid and I'm going to embrace it all. I'm going to embrace both sides of me. And if either you're going to accept it and you're going to rock with me or you're not, you know what I mean? And so, yeah, a lot of times people be like, I'm trying to figure you out. You're such a mystery. And I'm like, oh, it's because I got fat. It's because I'm very masculine and feminine. So I'm very hard to read sometimes because you don't know what you're going to get. I'm like, but, you know, I, I don't <laughs> like bugs. You know, I scream like, ah, when I see a bug. You know what I mean? <laughs> me too. But let but somebody like try spiders. to attack my girlfriend. I'm like, hey, yo, what's up? I'll knock you out. You know what I mean? So then the masculine side come, but don't let me see a bug because then that feminine side go come out. And so that's what I mean. When I say they, them, it's because that's who I am. You know yeah, because I mean? you her. got it all going I'm on, right? I'm not him. Yeah. And I have people be disrespectful and try to make jokes like, oh, <laughs> you a stud or you, you a boy. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm a girl. I know I'm a girl. Trust me, I'm cramping right now. Not right now, literally, but like it was times where I was cramping and I'm like, oh, no, I know I'm a girl. I don't want to be a man. I'm not trying to compete with a man, which is why women that I've dated that that were like uh, single mothers and decided to, you know, I'm like, look, if you want to be with a man, go ahead. I'm not even going to compete because I don't have what a man have. I'm not going to try to be what a man is. I'm going to be me. I am a female. I am a woman at the end of the day. You know what I mean? I know who I am. I'm also very masculine, and I know that too, and I'm going to embrace it all. Right, so tell me, how did you end up as a CASA board member? How did that come about? So, um, That's amazing. I... Yeah, I went. I know. I just be all over the place, right? Not like that. Like I, I travel a lot, and so I ended. I was in Brazil on a trip doing advocacy work with comrades from all over the world, and um, I. It was a lady there named Jody, and she overheard me talking how I'm talking now, just so authentically about my story. You know, no intentions behind it, just genuinely sharing my story um, about like you know how my story impacted me, how I don't let it define me and how, you know, I was currently still homeless at the time while I was in Brazil. And, but I don't let that define me. I still say yes to this trip and just like, just showing, like just being me. Right. And uh, she was like, Oh my God, I couldn't help over here. I have an organization called a 26 LA. I would really want you to sit down and meet with my board chair. So I said, I went to go meet with her board chair down here in LA on the roof of line hotel uh, in um, Wilshire, Western, Wilshire District. And so when I met with him, he was like, oh, my God, like, wow, you are amazing. Uh, he said, I'm the board chair for Casa of Los Angeles. Also, I would love for you to meet them. And I was like, yeah. But at the time, I was trying to get back in school, and he was also helping with me with that. So I kind of swept the Casa thing under the rug and just focused on school. And so years later, I went to this place called Right Way Foundation with Franco Vega, the most down-to-earth guy ain't never changed on me. And I've known him for about eight years now. Um, but um, went down there to his office. And he was like, hey, I'm going to this gala uh, volunteer luncheon and I want I want you to come with me. You want to talk? And I was like, sure, I don't care. Yeah, I'll talk. I didn't know what I was talking about. Well, you can I talk. Didn't know, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. So I was like, 
all right, fine, take me, I'll talk, right? And so he was like, okay. And then like five minutes as we pulling up into the court where the CASA thing is or what the event was, it was like, okay, so yeah, this is what CASA is about. They're volunteers. They help foster you do this. Woo, woo, woo. Did you ever have a CASA? I was like, no. He was like, what? You never had a CASA? I was like, no. And when I got up there, he was like, yeah, just talk about this. And um, so I'm going to tell you what they do. And when I got up there, I'm like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I was like, look, I've never had a CASA, but I heard about what y'all do. And to me, you guys are like the flowers and the cracks of the system that a lot of our you slip through because a lot of us are slipping through the cracks but I feel like if a kid had a casa or every kid had a casa that that crack would be filled with flowers because you guys are like flowers in the cracks that we're falling through and you like every now and then a flower come and catch that kid and be like oh uh-uh, you ain't gonna slip through what you need you need these services you need this okay let me help you out let me recommend you don't want to be in foster care you want to be reunited with your mom okay let me make sure I recommend that you know what I mean and so um having a casa just was different and I said that just from like the five minutes of my mentor explained to me what it was I came up with like a whole speech off the top of the head spoke from the heart nothing written down but guess who happened to be there who? The board chair of A two six LA that I met with on the roof of Lion Hotel, and uh-huh. so he was like, "Wow!" I mean, he saw me, he met me before, he heard about how I'm a speaker and the things I do, but he never seen me in person. And he was like, "Oh my god!" He was like, "Would you like to come to the Casa Gala with me?" And I was like, "Sure." He was like, "I'm gonna get a ticket for you and your mentor." So me and Franco end up going to the Casa Gala. When we got there, I sat down and he said, "Hey, I was thinking, how would you like to be a board member?" At least this is what I heard, right? I said, uh, sure, okay. He was like, all right, I'm going to send you the information for the next meeting. I go to the meeting, and so I walk in like I'm a board member because I thought he asked me to be a board member. So I'm coming, and I'm like, no, I don't think that's a good idea. This is how this should work. This is, like, this is just not a good, you know, and I'm talking like I'm one of them. And they're like, oh, okay. And that's when it dawned on me, like, oh, he asked if I wanted to come to the board meeting, not be a board member, right? And so, but because I showed up like I was a member, they was like, we like her. We want her to be on the board. And so they was like, uh, come, could you come to the next meeting? I went to the next meeting. They was like, we're going to vote on John A. Rivers being on the board. And they voted, and I ended up being the youngest person and the first foster youth that was acknowledged it on the board. It was another foster youth on the board, but he never talked about it until I became a board member and was so open about speaking on my story and not being ashamed of being a foster youth. And it made him like, you know, I grew up in foster care too and I never talk about it. And and I was like, wow, you never know who you're impacting or who you're inspiring, you know? And so um, I ended up on a board and I've been on the board for this my last year, this year. And so, um, yeah, it was my, uh, he, uh, Lou, the guy, his name's Lou, he ended up paying for me to be on the board for three years. and that's how I ended up becoming a board member for Casa of Los Angeles. Just- yeah, it's it's so important. It's so important that you are. Let me ask you about something that you just said. You said that a lot of people are ashamed to be called foster kids or foster youth, or they they feel shame about that. Why do you think that is? Because of the stigma. The stigma around foster youth and around foster care, you know, people just automatically assume that you're going to be a problem or come with all these issues. And so a lot of times, a lot of foster youth spend their whole life trying to prove that they are not that. You know what I mean? Um, I'm still doing that now. You know, every performance, every, it's just, it's proven. Like, I'm I'm not what the world think I am. And I'm going to prove to you that I'm not that. I'm going to prove to you that I'm more than my story. I'm going to prove to you that I'm more than my trauma. I'm going to prove to you that I'm more than what the system said I was going to be. And so a lot of times we end up, you know, trying to prove that we're not that. You know what I mean? And so in, right. in that, so a lot of times, a lot of people become ashamed of saying that they're foster youth, you know what I mean? And a lot of times, a lot of people miss out on opportunities and, you know, you never know who 
life you're going to change when you let somebody know, like, you know what? I grew up in foster care. You know what I mean? A lot of times people look at people and think, oh, they think they got it all together. Mm -hmm. Do you know that my mama did this and I was in foster care and I and I ended up being abused worse when I got in foster care to the point where I felt like I would have been better off with my mom who wasn't a good fit either, you know what I mean? And so a lot of the times, like, you know, when you speak up, you, you never know who you're going to inspire or who you're going to, you know, motivate or who need to hear what you need to say because everybody's story is important. Right. So tell me about the Real to Real Global Youth Film Festival. You're the founder, the, the co-founder, right? Yes. I How'd that come about? I am the co-founder for Real to Real Global Youth Film Festival. And this came about because talking about experience and being able to watch things and how it shaped who I am. I was um, at the film school and I was trying to get my short film picked up that I wrote about 12 years ago now. And I got somebody to do it. They was like, yeah, we'll do it for you. And right when we got down to like the, the dates of filming... They got. They hit us with a thing. The student hit us with a contract like, oh, in order for me to help y'all with this and for me to do it as my project, y'all got to give me complete ownership of y'all script and of the film until I graduate. I was like, mm, no, I'm not feeling that. That don't sit right with me. I'm I'm okay. And walked away from the whole thing. And I would have rather not have my movie film than to have my rights taken away for something that could potentially go places, right? And so I walked away and... um. A few years later, my mentor applied for a grant for the National Endowment of the Arts, Sid Stewart, and she got it. And she was like, I was in Brazil on my way to the airport to come back home to America. And I got a text like, we just got $10,000 from the NEA. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going back home. You know what I mean? I'm homeless, but I just got $10,000 to do a film festival. You know what I mean? So we got back, and we had already been talking to Bill Duke about it. And so we reached out like, Bill Duke, we just got $10,000 to this thing. We want to know if you'll be our, our, our special guest. He said yes. And we was like, okay, we need to figure out how to get more money. We went and met with City National Bank, who do not uh, fund starter projects and we went and sat down with them mind you I was still a kid homeless kid at the time when it sat down with City National Bank they gave us five thousand dollars for a financial literacy panel and sent one of their people to be on a panel with us so that they could talk about like how to um you know just financial literacy and stuff like that which is one of the number one entertainment banking companies in the industry, it's right? Huge. And so yeah, we ended up getting five thousand yeah. dollars from them, and I was like, "Wow, we're doing this!" And eight years later, we're still going strong. And every summer, we partner with the Los City of Los Angeles Works Source Center to hire at least fifteen to twenty foster youth in partnership with Skydance, Adobe, and AT and T, train them in filmmaking and media, digital content, animation, and gaming, and then show they showcase their work at the film festival on our platform while also giving them hands-on experience to put on a resume so that they can get jobs in the industry. Four of our youth have been hired. One had got hired at Amazon. Another one of our kids got hired at Disney. Another one was working at um, Lionsgate Entertainment as an editor, apprentice. And so um, like, it's just beautiful to be able to be like, you know what? Because it was hard for me to get in Hollywood and people will try to mess you over. I want to create a platform. This is me and my mentor said, let's create a platform where young people who can't get into the industry through nepotism can come to a platform, come here and be like, learn the skills that they need and get into the industry because they have the skills that it takes to get the jobs that these same people who get in because of nepotism get. You know what I mean? And so we did that. And so Real to Real became the uncle or the cousin or the friend or the sorority brother 
that other people have, you know, that other people parents have to get them in the industry for kids that come from neighborhoods like mine and Watts or neighborhoods in Compton or neighborhoods in the central of, of central South Los Angeles, you know what I mean? Wherever they came from, they now have a space where they can come and create and be heard, um, whether it's through film or music. Um, we want to be able to make sure that young people know that they have a voice, they have a platform, and that platform's all over the world. We have winners from Indonesia. We have winners from Australia. We had winners, um, winners from Malaysia, all over the world, America, San Jose. Um, and so it's a beautiful thing to know that, you know, I, I'm not only changing lives here, I'm changing lives all over the world while also trying to thrive in my life, you know, and changing my life. And yeah, you're successful. really making an impact. You really are. And so tell me about what kind of work you do now. I currently work at Jimmy Kimmel Live, um, yeah. late night TV show <laughs> as a production mm-hmm. assistant, and I'm also a performing artist. Um, you know, I'm a board member for Casa of Los Angeles, but yeah, I'm a performing artist. I'm really working hard on pushing my music out this year. I've been doing music for years, but never really felt like I had the right team. You know, I want people um, who I know going to win with me and not try to take advantage of me because I'm winning. You know, and so um, now that I met those right people, I'm ready to really put my best foot forward and start releasing music and start releasing videos and start releasing content because people waiting. They are every time I talk to somebody like this person asks about you, they say, what you doing? They waiting for you to release content. They waiting. They waiting for you. They following you. They watching you. And so now it's about, you know, believing in myself like I tell everybody else to do. And putting it out there because I know that I have a message. So what do you dream of then? You, you're going to be like a huge performing artist. You're going to travel the world rapping and singing and dancing. Yeah. And creating opportunities as I go. You know what I mean? Um, putting people on. Like that's always been my thing. Pulling people up with me and not stepping on them to get up. You know what I mean? It's like I'm that person that's going up the stairs, climbing up that mountain, and I see somebody as I'm going, I'm like, oh, you out of water here, man. You can have some of my water. Come on, let's go up here together. You know what I mean? Oh, look at that. We both came up on the well. Now we can go refill both of our waters. Now we both got some water. Okay, come on, let's finish hiking on up this mountain. Even if you get a little bit ahead of me, you know what I mean? I'm okay because I know I'm going to make it to the top, even if I go a little slower because I'm focused, because I'm the type of person that's going to help people out. And you may not be that person. And I'm still not, I still don't regret giving you some of my water because you're still able to get to where you need to go. You know what I mean? And so um, that's just me. You know, that's just like uh, who I am. And so just like being the star, you know, I think now I'm focused on being a star, being the, the best actress I can be, the best music person I can be, and the best producer I can be. Um, I mean, the best artist I can be and the best producer I can be um, while changing the world through my film festival. I wish you could bottle a little bit of what you got and sell it. Like, I would buy it. <laughs> I, would, I would really buy it. I would totally buy it. I'm going to ask you a question I ask all my guests, and I want you to dig deep, if you will. What is the one thing that no one would know about you unless you told them? I'm not as strong as I portrayed to be. And, and I say that, as far as like um, I, like in these interviews, I talk about all this strength and all this courage that it took to get to where I'm at. But every day, like I still have my uh, everyday battles that I face. You know what I mean? Um, like I said, I'm trying to focus on thriving and not surviving and getting out of that survival mentality. And 
you know, uh, for me, uh, those are the times that can hit me the most, you know, not having financial freedom or, um, you know, the financial stability that I want, you know what I mean? And, and figuring out how am I going to do this? You know, how am I going to get this bill paid? How am I going to, you know, you know, be able to show up if I just lost a friend in my neighborhood, like, but I still got to go to work and, and I'm not as strong as people think, you know, I have those moments where I just need to break down and cry, you know what I mean? And that's okay. You know, it's okay to break down. And it's okay to cry. Um, and it's okay to not be okay. And um, I think that that's the one thing that people would not know about me unless they knew me. And that was that. Yeah, uh, I, I would never have guessed that because you seem like just a powerhouse. It's just that I'm vulnerable. You know, I'm very vulnerable and I'm very fragile. Uh, and because of that, I have to be strong. You know what I mean? Um, when I'm out in the world, but when I'm home, I don't have to be, you know, when I'm home, I get to be that right. vulnerable, fragile person that I am. Mm -hmm. Are you in love right now? I am. I am. You are? I am. Uh, and Wow. Um, Excellent. The relationship I am in is very different from relationships that I've been in before. Um, How so? How so? Is it better? It is 100% better. Um, and this person really helped me. Uh, focus on my future and not my past. And when I say that, I mean, like, not necessarily that my past isn't important, right? Because my past uh, taught me a lot of the, um, a lot of things that uh, helped me today, like strength, courage, resilience, and things like that. But now that I know those things, you know what I mean? I don't have to always be resilient. I don't always have to be courageous. I don't always have to be strong, you know what I mean? And I can be okay with planning the future. You know, I don't have to be so caught up in living for just today. You know what I mean? Or just living in survival mode all the time. You know what I mean? Uh, she always say, we're here for a good time, baby, not a long time. And so uh, just reminded me to have a good time. You know what I mean? Go for your dreams. Make that music. Put it out. You know what I mean? And so just having somebody like that that's... Uh, have her, you know, we all go through things in life. And yes, she's been through her things, but she also have a, a way more positive outlook on life. Um, and it helped keep me aligned, you know, and, and it checked. I'm happy for you that you, that, that you, that, that you found that. I can see that in your face. Yeah, it's a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. It's really great. Uh, is there anything else you want to, you want to share with me? I did. Uh, I know, I know um, when we, we um, met up, you was mentioning like maybe if, um, I would like to share. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. Okay. If I would like to share um, one of my pieces and saying that this is a podcast uh, to talk about, uh, you know, to, to uplift and inspire foster youth, I did want to um, do a song, a well, verse that I wrote for foster youth. Uh, and uh, I'm so excited. It's okay. a song that I wrote for a sense of home. If you're in Los Angeles and you're moving in your apartment, make sure you check out a sense of home.org. They will furnish your apartment when you move in. I mean, everything. You don't have to worry about anything. Just make sure you sign up and let them know uh, whenever you get in your apartment. But I wrote a piece for them, um, for Foster Youth, so that when I perform for them when they're doing the home. And um, one of the verses that I wrote, um, I want to share. So I'll say it right now. I say, um, look, this is for the Foster Youth. 
I know what you're going through when you feel like there is no one supporting you. So we figure it out on our own. That's what we got to do. But sometimes it feel good to hear I'm proud of you. So I'm proud of you and forget whoever doubted you. With all the eyes against us, we still found a way to make it through. Shout out to the people who never left our side and the ones who showed us good when the devil was in disguise. See, I reached out my hand. It was people there waiting with love, good energy, understanding and patience. Congratulations, you made it. This right here is for you. Because you didn't give up, the kids will look up to you. Because you showed up for yourself, people will show up for you. And when times get hard, I hope that this gets you through. Hold on and be strong. Just hold on and be strong. Listen. <sighs> nice. Hold on and be strong. Wow. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jenna, for sharing your story with us and for all that you do. I think the biggest message I got from this was that you can choose to make a difference for yourself. It's an incredibly powerful thing to decide for yourself that things are going to be different. I really don't think we can hear that enough. So thank you. So next week's guest, we have Kanisha Allison, who, along with her four siblings, was placed in kinship care with her grandmother after she was removed from her mom's home, who unfortunately had a substance abuse problem. But now, as a single mom, Kanisha has decided to take in her nephew, who was removed from his home. But she says she's blessed to do it, and that he's helping her as much as she's helping him. So join us next week for Kanisha Allison. If you see something, say something. If you suspect a child's health or safety is jeopardized in any way by parents or anyone else, contact the Child Protective Services Agency in your county. 24-hour hotlines are staffed by trained social workers who will help you through the process, and you can do so anonymously. In California, you can call the Child Protection Hotline at 800-540-4000. So if you see something, say something. You might be saving a child's life. If you want to know more about becoming a CASA anywhere in the country, go to nationalcasagal.org. And in L.A., casala.org. And if you want to know more about becoming a foster parent, check out the National Foster Parent Association at nfponline.org. There's also faithfosterfamilies.org and adoptuskids.org. There's tons of other information online as well, so you can just hunt around. We also want to thank the supremely talented Christina Apostolopoulos for her beautiful original music. You can find her music on Spotify or Instagram at Christina Aposta. And also thank you to Yukon Har for his engineering. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you hear and you find it as valuable as we do, please rate us and hit subscribe. You can also make a donation at bonusbabies.org. See you next time.